If you came with a Bible or if you have your smartphone and would like to turn to Scripture, you can always go to BibleGateway.com or you can download the U version of the Bible app. The passage that we will be looking at is Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Each of the Gospels gives us the story of the resurrection. We will be looking at Luke's telling of the story. But I'd like to begin by talking about a seed. I call my message this morning the mystery of a seed because seeds are a really interesting thing. You take a seed and you plant it in the ground and you don't get a great big seed that grows. In fact, I thought that'd be interesting. Wouldn't it be great if I could take a seed and plant it in the ground and a huge seed would grow? Everybody in the neighborhood would come and visit my house and they'd say, I want to go see that minister who has a big seed growing in his yard. But instead, what happens with the seed is the seed goes away And I'm sorry, looking at the seed doesn't give me any understanding of what that plant's going to look like. You take a seed, and it's something that is very small, and it grows into something big and amazing. Well, why do I say that? Because the Apostle Paul, he talks about resurrection. And in his first letter to the church in Corinth, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, and I love the way Paul says it. He says, someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? I like Paul's next line. What a foolish question. Paul can say that. You know, he's the Apostle Paul. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow. Again, see, we'd see that concept, that it's something completely different. In the same way with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when they die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, and they will be raised in glory. We all understand brokenness, don't we? We all have those hurts and pains and those things in our life. We call them character defects that God is working to remove in our lives. And we know that in life everlasting, none of that happens. So when I think of my mom and dad in heaven, I don't think of my dad having Alzheimer's or my mom having a stroke. I don't think of my brother who passed away years ago as being in heaven with cancer. We get that whole understanding that resurrection is something completely different than all of the limitations of this world. In fact, if you read Revelation chapter 20, there's a wonderful description there of heaven. However, when we come to Easter, we sometimes forget that Easter isn't just about our future being able to go to heaven, that we talk about that, you know, we trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven, Jesus conquered death, we will live forever. Certainly that's important. And it isn't just only about Jesus and his personal resurrection that we do celebrate today. The resurrection is something that happened but it's also something that we continue to experience in our lives. If we understand our Christian faith properly, resurrection is how we approach life. Hear that loud and clear. It's not just something that happened. It's not just something we look forward to in the future. It's our whole approach to faith and how we live our lives. We are people of the resurrection. That means we don't go through life with a frown on our face. We put a smile on our face. It means that we understand that God is always doing something good, even sometimes when we don't see it. Consider Jesus. 
Jesus lived a life. He taught people things. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He taught people things like love your neighbor, forgive people, be kind. He also went through a very difficult life because the Bible teaches that he was rejected. He was even abandoned. That's what we was, last week was about when we were thinking about Holy Week and we were considering Jesus in the garden. When he was in the garden, he turned to his friends. He knew that they were soon going to arrest him, and he asked people to just stay awake with him for an hour, and people couldn't do it, and he was there all by himself. So he understood what rejection was like. And by the time he gets to the cross, he's got John and his mother but none of the other disciples are to be found. There are some of the women who had been supportive of his ministry that are there, but pretty much everybody else skedaddled out of there and wanted nothing to do with it. And of course, he experienced that most grueling of all suffering and death on the cross. But that wasn't the end. In fact, then came the morning. Listen to what Luke tells us about the morning. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women went to the tomb, taking with them spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale to them. And they didn't believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, that is an amazing thing that we celebrate this morning. That's why today is Easter. But let's never forget that every Sunday is Easter. That's why we worship as Christians on the first day of the week. Because the resurrection isn't something to be reminded of once a year. It's how we live out our faith every single day. We are people of the resurrection. We understand that on the cross, Jesus gave his life for our sins. But ultimately, it's God's power over death that makes all the difference in our lives. However, having said that, we still understand from that text and certainly also from life that death is necessary. As much as we don't like it, it's necessary. It's all part of the human experience. And here I'm not just talking about physical death. I'm talking about the things in our life that need to die. Because let's get real, folks. We all have things in our life that we need to be done with once and for all. Amen? Amen. Listen to what we read in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. They went to the tomb to care for their dead friend. Jesus had died. They got to know him. They cared about him. They had observed, because the women were not the ones who had abandoned him, they had observed him going through those last moments, and they knew that it happened right before Passover, and his body had not been properly prepared for burial. And so at the first day of the week, they show up. Now all of the Passover and all of the the holy days of the Sabbath are over, and they show up 
just wanting to attend to death. They learned, however, that day that with God, death, though necessary, is not the final word. Do we hear that? Death, though necessary, is not the final word. We make that mistake too often. We make it that what dies or death itself is the end, and it isn't. When we let something die, we then start to discover that God has provided something new, something different. That's what resurrection is. Paul says a seed doesn't grow into a bigger seed, but something new. It's something is gone, and now something new comes. Something that marvels us. Something that is creative. Something we couldn't even imagine. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember my first big boy job really well because I loved it. Do we have any people here who remember enjoying their first big boy or big girl job? Anybody else? It was great. I loved it. It was a great time in my life. I was a pastor of a little church in Lowell, Massachusetts. We had 25 people, and we met downstairs in, in the basement. We didn't even have enough money to heat upstairs. So eventually, we did some work and raised some funds, and it was so exciting when, under the time that I was there, we got to worship upstairs in our sanctuary during the winter. That was a big deal. I remember putting together a Bible study and a Bible study coming together and people actually coming to my house and now I'm like a 24-year-old kid and I'm teaching the Bible to people. I felt good about that. Regina and I only had one car, so she would take the car to work and I had to get around Lowell, so I had my 10-speed bike. And I was this young pastor who they, people knew as this young kid driving his 10-speed bike around to go hospital visits or go see somebody in the nursing home. It was great stuff that was happening and I learned to really enjoy all the different things that were happening. I remember one time I wanted to prove to this little church that we could fill the congregation. So we brought in a singing group and we contacted all the different churches in the community and they all brought people together. And we had so many people that came to that service that we had people sitting on the front steps of the church because we couldn't get them all into the building. That was just great. It was awesome things that were happening. And the most special thing that happened was one Christmas when Santa Claus came for the children's party. And at the end of all of the things that Santa did, he said, wait, one last thing. There's one more envelope I see on the tree. And he opened it up and he says, it looks like we're going to be taking a gift to the Cushings next Christmas. And everybody realized their young pastor and wife was expecting their first child. What fun stuff. It was great. But eventually, I was done at my time in Lowell, and I moved on, but I realized I hadn't really moved on. I still, in some ways, was thinking about that former church, wanting to be at that former church, missing things at my former church, comparing all sorts of stuff. And one day, I realized I need to let it die. I needed to let it go. And that was an emotional thing in my life. I remember crying, going, but I loved my time there but it was over. In order for me to experience the new things and where God was leading, I had to recognize what the Bible teaches, that we may not like death, but it is necessary and it's part of what happens in life. We all get like this, don't we? We have things in our life that we just can't let go of. And that's why the next thing we discover about resurrection is resurrection doesn't focus on death, it focuses on what's new. Hear the difference? 
It doesn't focus on getting more of what we had. Remember that seed in the ground doesn't just become a bigger seed. It allows us to focus on something new, something wonderful that God's doing in our life and in our world. Yes, the women were terrified when they saw these two men in dazzling clothes. And then in verse 5, they're asked this question. It's a question that we get asked every single day of our life. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you keep focusing on that which you need to move on from and expecting that somehow is going to be different this time? Isn't that the old saying? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Jesus was alive. But they were there looking to care for his dead body. The resurrection had occurred, but it hadn't changed them. I marvel at that. The resurrection had already occurred, but they were living as if it hadn't because they were still looking for the dead body. Again, like we do far too often in our life. Again, it gets me back to the seed. Now, one thing I want you all to understand, I don't garden. Maybe I don't like to get my hands dirty, I don't know. But my wife loves to garden. She loves it. She's out planting all the time and digging stuff up. Even over at David and Laura's house, she's got Ruby's garden. And Ruby can tell me, my granddaughter, that's Ruby's garden, which means Grandma and Ruby plant the garden there. She likes to garden so much that I buy garden things. I buy her dirt and fertilizer and seeds, and I give them to her as gifts. One time I came back from Weymouth. They had a big sale at this... this um, it was like a Home Depot or something, and they had all these beautiful plants that were discounted. And I showed up with a whole carload of plants. And Regina goes, what are we going to do with those? I go, that's the question, isn't it? What are you going to do with those? <laughs> <laughs> she usually at that point tells me to just leave me alone and let me plant them. Here's something I do know about gardening. When my wife plants seeds, she never says to me, oh, I need to go check on the seeds. She puts the seeds in the ground and is done with them, and she focuses on the plants. She focuses on what grows. She focuses on the garden. That's what the women were asked when they went to the tomb. Why are you still digging in the soil looking for the old seed? I was in junior high and living in my little town of North Dakota. Sorry, every sermon has a reference to North Dakota. You're, gonna, you got, you're all going to become experts on my home state someday. 492 people. There, there's your first trivia question. How many people were in my town? You got it, 492. When you have 492 people, they count them so you know the numbers correct. I think we knew how many cows and dogs and horses and whatever. You can ask me why there were cows in our town later, but that's for another sermon. So I was in middle school, I was in junior high, and Christmas was over, and I had a little bit of money. And I went down to the hardware store. See, in downtown Winemere, we had some things, and one of them was a small hardware store. And when I went to the hardware store, they had all kinds of stuff that didn't interest me, things like tools and hammers and birdseed and all of that stuff. But they did have one little section that interested me, and it had sporting goods. And so you could get a catcher's mitt or a baseball bat or a basketball and a football. And as a kid growing up, that was where I would go to. And one year, Christmas was over. I had a little bit of money. I go to Kutra's hardware store, and I saw a baseball glove that I wanted, only I didn't have enough money for it. And the Kutra said to me, 
you can buy it on layaway. Now, I didn't know what layaway was, but they explained to me that means you pay what you can, and you just keep paying it each week. So I gave them the money I had. I ran home, came back, gave them some money, came back the next week, probably gave them a dollar, came back the next week, maybe gave them 50 cents, and then I didn't come back. And then a few weeks later, I think I did come back one more time, and then I quit coming. And then it was April. And I started thinking, ooh, I have a bill down at Kutra's. And then it was May. And now I was uncomfortable going to the hardware store because I owed them money and I hadn't paid for it. And now it was June and I still hadn't paid for my baseball glove. And then it was July. Now in the town that we lived in, right across from my house was a park. You can go Google it. It's a cool park. They call it the Rock Garden. They actually have a park that has this rock fence that goes all the way around it. And once a year on the 4th of July, they would have this huge festival where they would have a pig roast with a real pig and people all over town. Everybody would show up and everybody was there and we were all over there and I saw the Kutras. I thought, ooh, I better stay away from them. And I avoided them as much as I could because I was still thinking about the fact that I owed them money. I wonder if they know I owe them money. And finally, Mrs. Kutcher came walking over to me. She looked at me and she said, pay your last few dollars and enjoy your new baseball glove. Hear what she did? She didn't guilt me. She didn't shame me. She got me to focus on the baseball glove and what was new. That's what resurrection is. Quit focusing on the negative, the thing that concerned me, the can I go back to their store? I did go back to their store. They didn't let me buy anything else on layaway, but, you know, I wouldn't have either. <laughs> the question is, how often do we get stuck in the tomb? How often do we just get there ruminating over that which we need to let go of. And please understand, that's different than memories. Memories are very important and very cherished. If you come into my office, right beside my desk is a beautiful picture of my mom and dad on their 50th wedding anniversary, and I love it, and I love to talk about it, and I love to talk about my parents. But I also know that life is about learning to move on as we let things go. Because in our life, remember where we started, Resurrection isn't just about life everlasting and what happened to Jesus. It's about how we live, and are we going to be a resurrection people? Are we going to be a people who realizes that God is doing something new? God is creative in your life. There are things that are exciting that God wants to bless you with, but it requires us to learn, once we understand that death is necessary, to focus on that which is new, because that's what resurrection is. But here's the thing about resurrection. It's resurrection that's final. Hear that? We say all the time, death is final. No, resurrection is final. That's God's final word. Peter got up in verse 12, and he ran into the tomb, and there he saw strips of linen by themselves. Now, Jesus didn't do anything without being intentional. And even at that moment, the moment of the resurrection, we find that Jesus is doing something intentional and giving us a lesson, literally an object lesson, because Jesus sets aside the grave clothes. In fact, other gospel writers talk about it. One makes it sound as if he neatly like, set them aside or they, however it was, they were there so he could move on. Imagine how different it would have been. Because remember, if you're Jesus, you're Je hey, you're Jesus. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You've raised from the dead. You get to make the choice. He could have taken the grave clothes with him. I like to think about that. Let's re 
retell the gospel story. Now, Jesus took the linen cloth with him, and somebody would have walked up to him and said, hey, Jesus, what's with those strips of linen? To which Jesus would have said something like this, well, you know, Judas and the Romans, man, those Romans taught, taught, they treated me awful. And my fickle disciples, I just carry these linens around with me everywhere I go just to remind me of those disciples who deserted me. And the Pharisees, don't get me started on the Pharisees. Man, those religious leaders always did have it in for me. And even Peter, can you believe what Peter did to me? Why, he rejected me three times, not once, but three times. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says he laid aside the the grave clothes. Folks, how many grave clothes are we walking around with? How many linens are we holding on to? And when people talk to us, that's right where we go back to. Now hear this also. We need to do work to get rid of them. We aren't Jesus. We can't just set them aside and go on and march out of the tomb and demonstrate life everlasting. Sometimes it can take years, but it's the process of saying, I can't do it, God can, and I'm going to let him, and I'm going to do the work to let God make that transformation because resurrection is where God wants us to live our lives, to live in the joy of knowing God and living life to the abundance. There's always new things that God wants to do in your life. A number of years ago, it was Austin Loud. I wish Austin was here. He came to an earlier service. I just thought of this. Is Austin here? I'm going to quote you, Austin. Austin was asked to do something that we did at a Glory of God service. And he said something I've never forgotten. Here's his testimony, how we started. He said, if you woke up today, and there's a pretty good chance you did, <laughs> God has something for you to do. Hear that, folks? If you woke up today, and there's a pretty, pretty good chance you did, God is something new and something for you to do. That's a resurrection faith. That's how God invites us to live our faith. Now, I tell you how much I love my mom and dad, and I do. I called them mummy and daddy. I still call them mummy and daddy. But don't get me wrong. Come on, we're all kids here. Every one of us has parents, and there's always, no matter how much we love our parents, there's always some things that we wish they did differently. Well, the thing I wish my dad would have done differently is I wish he would have been a little bit more positive when we would watch a sporting event. You see, my dad grew up in Quincy, and he was always convinced that his team was going to lose. Maybe it was from all of those Red Sox losses, but every time we would watch a game, it was always the same thing. They're going to blow it. And I was like, Daddy, could you just be positive? Now, my dad watched all the sporting events. He, wa- he even watched the Bruins. Sorry, Bruins fans. Uh, he watched the Bruins, the Red Sox, the Patriots, but the Celtics always had first place in our home, still does. And one Sunday, I said to my dad, Daddy, he was visiting, I said, Daddy, let's go watch the Celtics this afternoon. He said, absolutely. So we sit in the family room, we turned it on right at 1 o'clock, and we watched the game, and the, Red- the Celtics were down by 20 points. And he goes, see, I told you they're going to lose. I go, no, they're going to win. He goes, no, 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 they don't have it. Michael Jordan's too good. I go, Dad, just watch the game. And then the Celtics start catching up, and, and I get excited. I go, look at this, they're going to win this game. And my dad says, yeah, they'll just blow it in the end. I said, they're not going to blow it. And they get ahead, and he goes, you just watch. 
And lo and behold, Michael Jordan makes the shot and game goes into overtime. He goes, see, I told you. And I said, no, they're going to win in overtime. And finally, it gets later in the game and Celtics are behind. And he said, I told you, they're going to lose. And I said, no, they're not. They're going to win. And at the very last minute, Larry Bird takes a shot. Ball goes through and the Celtics win. And I said, see, Daddy, you should have been optimistic and positive the whole time. My dad's crying. He goes, that was great. I go, that was on tape. I recorded it Friday night. <laughs> Life is not on tape, folks, but we know the end of the story. That's what resurrection is about. God wins. Do you hear it? Who wins? God wins. That's our faith. That is how we're asked to live our life. The resurrection is the proof. Like a seed, we need to let things die. We need to focus on the new that God is doing, even like we do with a garden. We need to tend it. We need to focus on it. We need to appreciate where God is leading us. And always remember that it is resurrection and not death that is the final word. We are people of faith. We are people who understand that God so loved the world that if you were the only one who ever went wrong, Jesus would have come to be your Savior. He would have given his life for you personally. But the victory of resurrection is God's proof that that love was not just for one person, but to cover the multitude of sins of the entire world. That's how we choose to live our lives. As you end the service today, and we'll have one last song to sing, and we have lots of other things that we all have planned for the day, there are some seeds out on our welcome table for you to pick up on your way out of church. Now, I don't know what the seeds are because Regina went to the store and she bought them and mixed them all together. And trust me, we probably, other than maybe the sunflowers, you probably can't tell what's in there. But take a, take a seed home and plant it and let it go. Let it go. Let it die. Let it, maybe there's something in your life you need to be done with. Just allow that to happen and tend to the new plant and see what an amazing thing God can do. Because that's what resurrection faith is all about. It's about learning that God is always the creative God and has a bright tomorrow for each and every one of us. Our life is special and important, but that's because God so loved this world. That's what today is about, but more importantly, that's what our faith is about. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, work in our hearts. Help us let die the things that need to die and be done with them. Maybe we need to do work to get rid of some grave clothes, some linen cloths that are still hanging on that we need to get some help. Join a group. Contact a counselor. Talk to a pastor. Whatever it is we need to do to move on, help us just to learn to do it and to focus on where you're leading us, to realize that our faith is a faith that says that you go before us and you're alive and you want us to experience life every single day. You've gifted us with so much, with families, with friends, with the church. Maybe we have scars from things that are just deep and hurtful and painful in our lives, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a plan for us today. Each one of us woke up this morning. And each one of us who's here, we know that you are working in our lives. Help us have that focus. For Christ is alive, he's raised, he's risen indeed. Amen.